Biden issues U.S. national strategy to counter anti-Semitism, effective public policy, or the final death blow and occupation of the U.S. government by Jewish supremacy. With VT's triumvirate of Cat McGuire, Dr. Alan Sabrosky, and the great Helen of Destroy, we dig in so deep, right here, right now, on VT Radio. Let's go. With host Johnny Punish. VT Radio with the gang of four, Dr. Alan Sabrosky, Cat McGuire from New York City, and Helen of Destroy. Wow, I'm so glad to have you guys back on VT Radio. The last show we did was amazing. You know, let's have an amazing show today. We're going to talk about uh, a couple things. Uh, first of all, uh, you wrote a, an amazing article, Alan, on VT that uh, premiered uh, in the last 24 hours about anti-Semitism. Alan, go ahead and jump right in. Tell us what that, what's that about. Okay, the basic, the basic thesis uh, came out of a, of a short piece that I did uh, about 13 years ago on the complicated faces of anti-Semitism. I had written a couple of pieces, one on the USS Liberty, one on the Israeli attack on Gaza during their so-called Operation Cast Lead 2008-2009, and I was getting my first taste of what it felt like to be on the gun sites of ADL and SPLC as a raving anti-Semite, which I it's a little bit surprised me, you know, having some Jewish ancestry, I didn't think of myself as an anti-Semite, but I didn't think of myself as a Jew either. So I guess that's probably deserved. And it, it originated actually from a, a very simple conversation uh, that I had several years earlier with uh, a Jewish woman I'd been dating. She was a judge. Um, and she had made some comment about the the extent to which Jews have been the object of discrimination and hatred throughout history. And I said to her, well, what's wrong with you? And she sort of reared back. I should tell you, this was a precursor to the end of our relationship. So it just was, if you're going to do this to a girlfriend, be absolutely certain you want it ended. Or to a boyfriend for the ladies here, be absolutely sure you want that relationship to end. Um, and she looked and said, what do you mean? And I said, well, look at it like this. If, as an individual, a few people I meet don't like me, I can say it's their fault. But if everyone I meet doesn't like me, then it's my fault. I mean, that's basically it. There's, or there's something wrong with how I'm acting. Well, that, of course, didn't endear me to her, but it's, it's absolutely true. So I decided on that basis to look at, the, the, at, at anti-Semitism. And I picked up three forms. One, just a hatred of Jews or Ju Judaism. Second, the hatred of Jewish states. And third, what was called the new anti-Semitism, which was raised in Commentary Magazine in the late 1970s. By the way, at the same time as the neocons originated. The neocons who saw uh, Carter's negotiation of the Camp David Accords as a sellout of Israel. Before that time, Jews were basically Democrats. What this happened with the neocons is that a faction of them broke off and became hawkish Republicans. And the end of Israel, of course, they managed to capture both parties. So I did that, and I, said, and I went through the historical antecedents of all three of these. And I said, you know, but really when I started looking at this again a few weeks ago, I realized that it was an oversimplification, that there was a form of what I called hyper-Zionism, 
that the new anti-Semitism actually bifurcated into a defensive mode of protecting in Israel or anyone who criticized Israel from criticism, and then an offensive mode of actively destroying or defaming anyone who might be a potential opponent. That's what they've gone into now. Wow. And the rest of the article basically takes a look at that, what they have done in that active mode. And it is very destructive. It's very comprehensive. It's very effective. And they may very well have won. Now, Kat, you as the editor of the article, um, how do you see this issue? I was right in sync with everything Alan wrote, um, and I could add more and more. Um, I agree that um, this is um, a, a very big danger to democracy, how Jewish power um, insinuates in our society that um, anti-Semitism is widespread and we have to protect ourselves against it. Hence, they come up with all manner of strategies to do that protection and try to legislate it, as we have seen with uh, the um, with uh, BDS, um, boycott, uh, divest, and um, sanctions, and um, how they have made that legal now in 30 states that you can't go against Israel. That's incredible, right? That's incredible. Well, there's two on the table right now that are just as incredible. The one has been there for a while. Um, it's being put out by IHRA. That stands for something... International Holocaust, International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance. Thank yeah. you. Um, it, they basically have 11 points, bullet points, as to what is anti-Semitic. And it falls into basically two categories. And one has to do with um, Jews themselves. You can't call Jews. Uh, this is a working definition of what they're suggesting to governments to implement in their uh countries or states. You can't call Jews any, no name calling. You can't say Jews um, only care about money or they're out to control the world. And then the second prong of IHRA's um, strategy to um, censor anything anti-Semitic is against the Holocaust. You can't do, define it's, it in any other way. That. Now, now Helen, Helen, Helen now you, you, you clearly see what's going on in America. Tell us how you see it from your perspective. Well, there's more going on than that. Like the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance definition is actually, it's not even just negative stereotypes of Jews. It's just thinking in a particular way about Jews. The definition is so broad as to be completely useless. I think the Supreme Court has a, an idea like uh, void by vagueness. This is void by vagueness, except they're trying to literally legislate void, it. Void by what? So, by, void by what? Void, void by reason of vagueness. Vo void by vagueness. It, 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 it means nothing. Therefore, okay. it cannot be, uh, it, it cannot be enforced. Um, and the, the way that they do this is they first set off a, a very a narrow uh, way of thinking or behavior and they get everyone to agree that this is terrible. Nobody wants to be like the Nazis. Nobody wants to be hunting down Jews in people's houses and shooting them, whatever. So everybody's agreed on that. And then they say, okay, well, this is terrible. This is social pressure first is exerted and then legal pressure is exerted. And they say, okay, you can't say anything like that. And then they say, so they say, you can't say anything that's anti-Semitic. And then they expand the definition of anti-Semitism to be mean anything that they, they want it to be. Um, Gilad Atzman has come up with a clever way of saying that, that I'm going to butcher, but it's like Jewish power is the ability to, uh, something about saying that there is no such thing as Jewish power. 
I can't, I can't, I never get the quote right, but somebody else can probably do it. Any, anyway, uh, they're, they're, they're now, um, the, this Biden's latest thing of this uh, 100 points against anti-Semitism or whatever it's called, um, while it admits in its own text that it cannot be legally enforced, that it cannot supersede any existing laws or um, statutes or regulations, there's this whole like disclaimer at the beginning, which I found absolutely fascinating, which nobody has talked about. But of course, they're, they're going to try to get this implemented in every single uh, municipality, every single state, every single uh place that has the ability to enforce this thing on us, but they've already, they, they also say in this large uh, inflated document that this is a blueprint for being used against every other form of hate speech. So they're already trying to expand the definition of white supremacy to include basically it doesn't have to be white. Uh, th this is why they have all these mass shooters who are like this Indian guy and this Hispanic guy. And they're saying, oh, well, you know, white supremacy doesn't have to be white since, since when? That That's a totally bait and switch that they've just pulled while nobody was looking. And that they're now trying to say that because nobody wants to be a white supremacist. Nobody wants to run around saying, oh, the, the, all the races are bad and white people are good. Nobody like that. That's not that's a cartoonish thing that nobody does. And so getting everybody to agree that that's terrible and, and that that should be not if not illegal, then at least uh heavily socially pressured against then then they switch the definition around and now white supremacy means everything we don't like and if you are fall on that side of that line which is growing and growing and growing then you are on the shit list so it's um, it's pretty yeah. scary yeah. now alan yeah. this biden policy that's coming up this hundred points of of anti-semitism or whatever he wants to call it it's, where is this I coming say from it's called it's the u.s national strategy to counter anti-semitism it has a hundred points of recommendation and another hundred call to action points of things that local governments can do and legislate so it's really 200 um, recommendations it's scary alan where is this coming from why is this happening in america uh it's called the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. That's Explain the one that, that's please. doing it. Yeah, the conference, the, conference of, the conference of Presidents of Major Jewish Organizations is actually the Jewish lobby in America. It has, it, the numbers vary slightly, one or two. It's got 49 to 51 varying constituent organizations and a few associated organizations. ADL SPLC, APAC are just three of the organizations in this group. These are only the major organizations. And the intent, and this is the Jewish lobby. And I look, if you go to, it's got its own website. Just go to it, Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Look at what it is for the major ones. I mean, the amount of money associated with this, the, you know, I looked at this in the 10 largest donors to the Democrats, the eight largest donors to the Republicans in 2020 were Jewish Democrats, Jewish billionaires. That's all, that's money. And the, when the Supreme Court, first with Citizens United, uh, jog my memory, what was the second decision? Uh, there, were, there were two of them back to back that lifted the cap off spending for campaigns. Citizens United was the first and then there was another. That basically, made it me. possible for unlimited money to be spent by unlimited people in unlimited ways to unlimited campaigns anywhere in the world. That's and that destroyed, that destroyed any, you mean basically a local, a local government, you know, a town sheriff who happened to arrest someone that they didn't like could have a couple of billion dollars shoveled into an opponent. That's they incredible. Do 
they do it. Kat, are you seeing that? Now, you're in New York City. What are you seeing on the ground there? What's happening in your neck of the woods in terms of this issue? Do you see it happening in, in, your, in your area? Um, no, not necessarily. I, I think, I, I mean, I'm sure they'll trot it out whenever they want to. But for me, the bigger danger is online. Um, if you can't say the word anti-Semitism or Israel in ways that aren't positive and the AI flags you, um, that is not only going to get you bounced um, off the Internet, but um, increasingly will come with fines, if not prison, if they get their way. So these things start as the camel's nose under the tent. That's how BDS started. It's just a recommendation. And then the next thing you know, it's law. And that's how the Balfour Agreement started. It was just an agreement. Um, um, and then all of a sudden, or not all of a sudden, but after two world wars that were probably basically about the Balfour Agreement, um, now we have the state of Israel. So these things start out little by little, boiling frogs. They can't come right out and say, you're going to go to prison if you say anything bad about any Jew in this country or in the world, because Deborah Lipschitz is going to have her list, her blacklist, and the thought crime police will come after you. Yeah. Now, Helen, I, mean, I, I, tried, have, I, I, I tried, you know, a couple of years ago, I got an invitation to attend a conference in Germany. Oh, now, no. no, now normally, normally, you know, I've been to Germany many times, been to many European countries, and you didn't have to have a visa. You just, you know, with an American passport within those countries, you know, we just traveled. Mm -hmm. And um, I checked with the German embassy in Washington. Now I got a counselor in the embassy who dealt with this. And I said, I've got this invitation. Uh, I said, can I accept it? And he said, why are you calling? And I said, because you've locked up at that time a 91 year old grandmother for questioning the Holocaust. I question the Holocaust. Can I come to Germany? I said, I'm, my family is from Germany. Uh, all four grandparents were German, which is true. Three were German Protestants and one was a German Jew. So all four German. I said, can I go there? And he said, just a minute. And I'm sure he was in his computer, you know, checking on it. And he said, uh, if you come to Germany and you leave the airport terminal, you will be arrested. Really? Yep. He said, wow. He said, he said, if, no, no, no. He said, if you say anything, this was the, if you say anything about the Holocaust, about your views on the Holocaust while you were in Germany, if you go to the conference, the subject doesn't come up, you say nothing, you can come here and enjoy your visit. But, but if you say any, if you, yeah, basically. And if you say anything, I said, well, I understand that Ursula plays chess. Maybe I can have an adjoining cell. He didn't laugh. Mm. Wow, that's incredible. Now, now, Helen, how do you feel about all what's going on in the United States in terms of the, the leadership turning over to the Zionist cabal of banksters and, and nonsense going on that's completely destroying the fabric of America 
should we all just run and leave? What, what should we do about this? Well, it's not so much the leadership turning over to this group. The leadership has always been in their pocket. It's just a question of how open they're being about it. I mean, this has been going on since I think JFK yeah. was the last president who tried to put any sort of damper on the Israeli influence growing, blossoming in the U.S. government. And we saw what happened to him very much for that reason, I would I would say. Yes, I agree. And I agree. Um, it's yeah, he, he tried to have APAC register as a foreign agent and uh, try to Demona try, try to try to investigate uh, Demona, the nuclear the nuclear plant that the, the, the nuclear facility that, that, that doesn't exist. So um, <laughs> it's like it still doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they still. I, mean, I think. I think they admitted it on Twitter like for five seconds, and they had to delete the tweet because it was like, okay, we're still, we still have this don't ask, don't tell relationship with Israel, and it's non non proliferation of weapons that don't right. exist. What that do? Because obviously, that's the whole point. Um, it's it's ridiculous, and yeah, the the, the U.S. government has, has always been. I mean, I mean, uh, Cynthia McKinney was the one who revealed that uh, to get into Congress, you basically have to, uh, first there was, you had to actually sign a loyalty oath of sorts, uh, to Israel, not to the United States. And then, uh, after she exposed that and they, they were, their face turned a little bit red and they said, okay, well, you have to write a paragraph about how much Israel means to you. And of course they, they squire them around Israel as once they're, uh, uh, as in their first term in Congress, they bring them over there and they make sure that they can count on them to always vote in favor of it's the fact that, it, it, I mean, when BB came and spoke during the Obama administration, there was, uh, like 15 standing ovations, I think nobody gets that. I mean, that's no, no American politician, no, and every vote on an Israel an Israel related issue is always, if not unanimous, at least like unanimous with two detractors. I mean, it was like Thomas Massey and Ron Paul, maybe, or that uh, Palestinian independent guy who left because he couldn't take the, the heat anymore. So it, it's not not really a change, but I mean, yes, by the Biden administration has had more like actual Jewish uh, Zionist individuals in the actual cabinet than previous administrations and in the past they preferred to hide behind the scenes but now they feel they no longer have to and that's why when you've got like douglas emhoff the second gentleman up there during that uh, revealing that 100 points of light or points of darkness or whatever you call it um i'm never going to get the name right so cat thank you for doing that he's talking about how uh, how jewish hate is off the charts and this and that and via like the adl's completely bogus means of calculating such incidents i mean we should all wish to be so oppressed as this guy who's standing up there basically being able to tell the an entire country what to do because his uh, wife slept her way to the top and was selected for diversity higher points as being the vice president of the united states i mean seriously we should all wish to be so oppressed as this as this minority so the, the, it's 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 a uh, very un unfortunate for those Jews who are not on board with this whole thing because they are going to be uh, held responsible for all of this if ever there is any sort of reckoning because it's like the Douglas Emhoff getting up there and literally saying that like we're two percent of the population and oh we're, we're so we're so persecuted and the Senate and it's 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 almost as if it was designed to make you hate him and the way the way that his the way that his speech was it, it was so loathsome and then Deborah Lip Lipstadt gets up there and does her song and dance it was just like they did it, it was like they hit on every single stereotype of like bad, negative stereotype of Jews in order to in generate it's an anti-semitism generating machine and because they only have their sinecures or however you pronounce that word um, if you if, if anti-semitism does exist in the United States which it's not really a big problem I mean if you ask any sane Jewish people there are plenty of them out there that you know we don't hear from them a lot because uh, they, they they don't have the microphone but um, if you ask any sane Jewish person they're not uh, stepped on and and discriminated against 
because they're Jewish. It's that's not really a thing. And so they have to make it a thing. And that's the whole purpose of this anti-Semitism yeah. generating industry. I mean, the, the ADL and all these other organizations, they wouldn't have the, all of this money if they didn't run around saying, oh, look, there's Nazis over there, Nazis over there, Nazis over there, Nazis who just happen, white supremacists who happen to be brown and whatever. So it's it's one of the interesting things that that occurred to me when I was as I was listening to it's something that I'd mentioned to uh, to Gilad Atzman a, a couple of years ago when we were having a video chat from London when he was in London obviously I was here I said you know if this ever does really explode in Jews' faces they're not going to only take out the heads of the ADL and SPLC and the neocons. Helen, it's people like you, me, Gilad, the rest of us who have even a little Jewish ancestry or complete Jewish ancestry. We're going to go with the rest of them. It's going to be just a complete a complete sweep. But I think that one of the things that's really interesting is that for all of the crap Democrats did in the House of Representatives, other than two people being removed from the intelligence committee because of their foreign Chinese ties. The only one who was stripped of her committees was Ilhan Omer, you know, not Nancy Pelosi, not any of her buddies, was Ilhan Omer. And you know why she was stripped of her committees? Anti-Semitism. That was it. That was the reason given for it, which tells, and, and the rest of it, all this crap, enemies of the state, I mean, for what Pelosi said and did as speaker, they ought to have nailed her to the door of her office. I would have provided the nails and the hammer, by the way. I mean, they really should have done it. But no one else, no one was touched. All of the rest of this is just theater. For, so this whole thing's us. untouchable. The United States government has been taken over. Do we agree with that? Is that, is that yep. what we're saying yep. here? Yep. Yep. It's occupied as much as the West Bank and Gaza is. Yes. Uh, more so, more so, because the West more Bank so. and Gaza still has, and in Gaza at least have nominal local authorities. We have don't even have that, right? So, right. At, so the, now, at the national Kat, level, Kat, is there any hope for a future America that might be better than this, or is this? Are we destined to end up this way with these people in control? Well, I have to say, I'm so sick of pandering to Jewish fragility um, with all their crying <laughs> up and down. <laughs> Um, I'm hoping that um, this will create awareness because that's what we need is awareness. I mean, the audacity of them to say, oh, this isn't just about Jews. This is about protecting democracy and all gays and black people, people of color. Our, protecting us will extend to everybody else. Well, if that's Except not whites. a wake-up. Except whites. Yeah, well, of course. But if that's not a wake-up call to everyone else. So what is uh, the answer, Johnny, you ask? Um, we need massive amounts of awareness because there's we can't tell everybody, well, this is how you do it. Everyone in their own way is going to have to figure out where their limits are and what they have to say. But if they don't know this exists, it took me a long time to open that door and understand Jewish power. A lot of people think, well, I'm opposed to Zionism and what Israel's doing. That's not what we're talking about here. This is not mm-hmm. really, Zionism is just a subset of Jewish power. We're talking yep. about Zionism is anti-Semitism by their definition, but that's just yep. a right. But in reality, 
this Jewish power, Jewish supremacism is the, the uber umbrella under which Zionism fits. And so people are like, well, I am anti-Zionist. And yet they don't understand because it's, it's become so complexified that they're caught complete. We're all caught in this uh, Jewish supremacist uh, stranglehold that they have over us. So it's really opening the door to Jewish supremacism and Jewish power um, to awaken people. And then in their own way, they'll have to figure out what to do. But they, that's why I'm so worried about these laws, because um, the education now is very dependent upon the Internet to be able to share ideas. And they own that they own the Internet, basically, for all practical purposes. Um, Israel has the chokeholds. Um, they have the kill switch. If you don't uh, say all the right things, they own all of the censorship capabilities and and the monitoring and even AI. And it, it, um, the propaganda is a form of censorship. Caitlin Johnston came out with a, an article that was titled that that even so they censor you, but also the propaganda they do is a form of censorship. So at the exact moment, people need to be waking up. Um, everything is shutting down. So it makes it harder to have this awareness. And my final point is uh, my biggest concern is that a bona fide demagogue is going to arise who really is uh, scary and not something that we want. And, and unless Jews of conscience um, come in on this, we need Jewish allies, people, Jewish people more than everyone else needs to wake up. Um, be, to be in allyship with us against these monsters. Well, I have a, I have a question for you. I have a question for you, Kat. This is, and it's a serious question. Um, you made you made a a good point, a very good point, which I had missed, referring to universities as re-education camps, and they are. If but people also talk, and I've I've read several of these comments that. You know, America today, and I, I use the, the reference myself, is like Weimar Germany in the 1920s. That the same Jewish, the same type of Jews are pushing the same things as they did in Weimar Germany in the 1920s and early 30s. Like Berlin being a, a, a wild city type of thing going on? Or ha Hamburg, actually, worse than Berlin. Hamburg was much worse than Berlin. Hamburg was San Francisco. Berlin was like Washington, but basically that. But the, the thing is that they didn't have control of the political apparatus. But the comment I, I read and that I remember either. was this. The comment I read and I remember this was Weimar problems require Weimar solutions. And you know what the Weimar solution was? Okay. One of the things I was going to say and is that... And, but, but that's true. I mean, I'm, I'm not... No, I am saying it. Um we faced a situation where we cannot vote our way out of this. We cannot legislate our way out of this. We cannot adjudicate our way out of this because they control the electoral system. They control the judicial system. They control the legislative process. They control three quarters of the states, which they didn't 10, 12 years ago. Now they do. How do you get rid of them? You don't. You don't politically. Let him finish. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Helen. I'm sorry. He, he was, he, I thought you were asking Kat a question. No, I'd oh. like Helen to speak. Go ahead, Helen. 
Okay, oh, well, I was I was going to say when Kat, you were saying righteous Jews have to stand up. Thing is that uh, I mean, as with uh, Russia in the pre-Bolshevik uh, age, the, the Jews uh, lived under this kahal, this extremely oppressive like group that closed them off from all outside um, mm-hmm. interactions with. They didn't really know what was going on outside because they weren't. They were told that these people hate you, these people want to kill you, and you must do what we say because we are the the uh, we are the voice of God basically. And uh, in in modern times we sort of have a parallel of this and it's not just orthodox communities it's if if you i mean although if you do know anybody in orthodox communities who's broken out of them it's not easy to do and it's absolutely terrifying because they they don't know anything outside this they they live in modern society but they don't live in modern society so to a lesser extent it's it's this this group think this this fear of uh, of pissing off uh, the people, the narrative managers, which is what I, I call them, but just the, the people who set uh, the the opinion makers, the uh, the people who say what is good and what is bad, and you don't want to run afoul of this. And this is this is the second best thing to having a thought policeman in, in, installed inside every single skull is this is this fear of pissing off the important people. And so it's like in in the same way that they're trying to uh, sort of photocopy the way that anti-Semitism is dealt with and make that a big th- thing for every other oppressed group that they can then used to shut out uh, different forms of speech then they also want to photocopy this like this pressure this outside peer pressure and and enforce it on every other group that they happen to live amongst and i think they've done a very good job of doing that in the united states because even if as you say weimar solutions where are you going to get people willing to do weimar solutions everybody here is afraid to to make a a, an objectionable comment online lest they get i don't know deplatformed or it's not even deplatformed because like the the Although, in some, yes, actually, in some cases, it is deplatformed. But like on, on Twitter now, you can still say things. You'll get shadow banned, but the, they aren't like actually removing accounts for these things at the moment. I'm sure that they will again. And Elon Musk is a complete fraud. And uh, don't even get me started on this guy. But uh, he is in bed with the ADL. And he's claiming that, that he is, oh, well, there's nothing I can do to stop the European Union from censoring everybody's. Sure, sure. So, so, th- so this whole big thing about you being a free speech absolutist was just a just for show, I guess. But yeah, he's he's in bed with uh, Jonathan Greenblatt and has has been quite open about that. But it's it's uh, it's all like blowing off steam. Like they'll they'll let you say things and they'll they'll let you just go only so far. But uh, the, the, nobody even wants to go further than that. Nobody wants to take up arms and do a Weimar solution. Not that I even think that that would work because the problem is that it's that the mind virus has infected everybody and it's not you can get rid of every single Jew on the planet and I, I don't think that that's a good idea but if you do think that's a good idea it's not going to work just you know just so you know well you know one of one of the things that's very clear on this is that and and, and this this hurt me deeply is that the the infection the woke infection as Kat mentioned, has gone had, had gone from these re-education camps of the universities, you know, into every part of our society. It also went into the armed forces. And that didn't really become apparent to us until the last three or four years. But, you know, the, the thing is, you know, what what we, we all forgot, what I forgot, and I'm not going to say we all forgot, you may not have, but I forgot, was that until very recently, the, the bulk of the officer corps comes from ROTC units, from campus ROTCs. And these people get effectively the same education as their civilian counterparts. They get a couple of military courses each year, each semester. 
But other than that, in a predisposition to maybe want to wear a uniform or to get a scholarship, probably get a scholarship and have their education paid for and to serve a few years in the armed forces, they are effectively the same as their civilian counterparts. Woke, woke educated, woke indoctrinated, and they're out there. And this has been going on for generations, as Kat pointed out to me, and I I'd completely missed it in the article when I wrote it until she edited it and, and jogged my memory. And I said, yes, that's been going on for generations. That's why we have Millie as, as, Chip Millie as chairman of the Joint Chiefs pushing a woke agenda. That's why the last commandant of the Marine Corps, you know, what I would have thought, last bastion, of American military values and American conservatism endorsed a year ago, diversity, equity, and inclusion is essential to the war fighting of the Marine Corps. After which I burned my medals and my flag. Just put them in a pile, poured kerosene on them, burned them, everything. Pictures that I'd had since 1959 of my boot camp graduation, picture of me from Vietnam between my first and second tours. Those, my medals, a Marine Corps flag, a Marine Corps seal, all went in a hole, all got burned. That's what I felt about it. But they've all done it. And the new, the new chairman designate of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, he's a black guy, his name is Brown, former Chief of Staff of the Air Force. His goal is to have white officers be a minority in the, in the officer corps. Explicitly said that. I mean, Not based this on is, merit or based on color? Just based on color. Yeah, now, this has been going on. This has been developing, for, as Kat said, for generations. But if it's down to the armed forces, this is the enforcement mechanism. This is the fist behind the president. And if we rise now, what we're going to find, I think, is that most of the National Guard and Reserve units in the states, in the red states, will stand with us. Most of the regular armed forces will not. And we will lose. Well, also, we there's lose. a whole problem. Um, I, I think a lot of the armed forces are not going to go against their own people. And that's yeah. part of the strategy that's not being openly talked about. Um, they keep saying military-aged men, illegal immigrants. Um, those military-aged men, I think, are going to become the goon squad who don't care anything about regular Americans. And that's who they're that's right. going California is putting them in uniform now. Yeah. Oh, are they? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I also think they're going to be the goon squad of those 88,000 IRS agents that now can be have um, sidearms um, to come after you. So I think that's who the bulk of these illegal aliens are coming in. Um, I would like to make a, a comment about uh, this is going to be Weimar. Um, in terms of Weimar, um, Jews learned a very brilliant thing from um the 1930s. In the 1930s, Germans were able to speak openly about who was occupying their country and taking yep. over control. They were able to openly talk about Jews. Now it is not only can we not talk about it, and especially with this new uh, 100 points of uh, darkness, I like how you called that, Helen. Yeah. <laughs> um, we're increasingly trying to legislate that we can't talk about it. But worse, because they, um, 
it had a whole strategy to create the woke agenda. Now they have gotten into people's minds that they not only just self-recuse, I'm not going to talk about it. Somehow they've shut down their minds. They've been so inculcated. They've shut down their minds to even think that there might be something that has to do with Jews. They can see Biden's administration is almost 50% Jewish, but they don't really see it. And if they do, so what? Um, so, uh, the woke agenda, the whole political identity agenda was part of the propaganda wing of taking control of this country and ultimately the world. That's where this is going, the chosen people. But it was it because when Jews can be um, kind of buried within other oppressed peoples and then we support um, you know no racism no sexism then they have a natural platform for saying and no anti-semitism but funny out of all of those others they rise to the top and get all these uh um, laws and rules and strategies for them but the strat the whole point of uh, political identity is very integrated with part of the takeover and what my final um, thing i'd like to say is that um, all of these corporations now that are going woke, especially with the transgender, they already ran through uh, BLM and, and, and all of that money's already been uh, grifted away. But now it's this transgender stuff. It's not because they want to. It's because they have to. Uh, these corporations don't have any endearment and they, they don't can't even care about the money that they're losing of going woke and growing broke. These are direct diktats straight from the front facing uh, ground on the ground troops of Jewish power, which is Larry Fink and BlackRock. So these con companies have to do it. And here, here's an important point, And then I'm done is that it's insidious. They're stuck doing it. So all the boycotts are in, in some ways are going to undermine these companies. Maybe even some of them get shut down. They're certainly losing stock, which is also a way of undermining, even though they're capitalist organizations, it's undermining our own economy. So yep. Yep. they get us to boycott and destroy our own economy. Bingo. And then, um, of course, they can go in and buy everything up for pennies on the dollar. Yeah, that's very, that's very, so great. That's and this, very is, this is, yeah, this is to got to knock down the economy to in order to bring the new economy, which is CBDC and carbon credit based. And you can't get that unless you take out the pre-existing one. And of course, if you have the transgender groups or the Black Lives Matter groups up in front, then all the hatred is going to hit, hit those first and then dissipate a little bit by the time it gets the people behind it. So it, they're, they're, so, they're so used to using human shields. They, they always It's always with this projection thing. So they always accuse the Palestinians of using human shields whenever they're talking about the terrorism that they commit in Israel. But um, it's always, they are the ones using the human shields and, and even using their fellow Jews as human shields, as, as we were yeah. discussing earlier. But uh, it's, it's constantly just always having somebody else take the fall for their uh, evil doings, and there's a lot of evil doings where that came from. But yeah, the, 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 this is a deliberate thing to, 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 to destroy these companies. They don't have a choice. World Economic Forum has got this LGBTI equality thing that has the full force of the United Nations behind it. It's a code of conduct that they're forcing down these corporations' throat. And I mean, if you want to get the... If it, I, I read when I was doing research for the, the chapter that I wrote in Cynthia McKinney's book about the coronavirus, um, I, I read some, some, some uh, consulting firm had come out with this thing that said that it, it, and unless you are a large or at least a large mid-cap company, you cannot actually afford to check all of the diversity or inclusion boxes because it requires employing a whole separate consultancy that is devoted just to diversity and inclusion stuff in order to like check this basic box that you need to have to participate in the world economy. Yeah. So that's pretty... Um, 
um, appalling. And, and this, this idea that, oh, this is a free market. Yeah, not so much. You know, I was, ta- I was talking, I was talking uh, this past week to, uh, to a friend in Austria. One of the great things about Skype and the internet, you can actually talk to people and see them, you know, lots of places. And she made a comment, and we were talking about exactly what you were discussing, Helen. And she said, if you, you know, if you really want to understand what they're doing, she said, you, you need to, you need to think of the, of the title of this, and this struck me as surprising, of the East German national anthem. Auferstanden aus Ruinen. Arisen from the ruins. Arisen from the ruins. Risen from the ruins. That they're prepared, fully prepared, to break the, the economy, to break the society, and from the ruins, and knowing that they're going to be in ruins, knowing that they're going to be in ruins, and from the ruins, they will arise in the situation that they want to be in. You know, we, 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 I mean, we, I would say we, we four probably most sensible, sane, civilized people, as, at least as we describe them, would think you're going to break something into ruins. This is not a great idea. You know, you're going to break the Roman Empire into ruins. What did you get? Well, you got a thousand years of, of, of the Dark Ages. There might have been a better way of doing it, you know, but they don't see it that way. You know, that's, uh, and, and that's something that that phrase occurred to me. Just you know, where did it come from? Uh, we were soldiers. There was an there was an a scene that wasn't shown in the movie, in which um, the the American colonel had a meeting with the Secretary of Defense you know, West uh, McNamara and with Westmoreland. And he, and he discussed, you know, the battle and they congratulated him on it. And uh, McNamara did as well. That looks like a 20.5 to 28.5 casualty rate. And, you know, the colonel is looking at Westmoreland. What, what the fuck is this guy talking about? You know? And then he says, he pulls out this, this diary that one of his men picked up off, off the battlefield. And it's from a North Vietnamese soldier. And he said, and he read it, read it to Westmoreland and McNamara. He said, this guy had everything to live for. You know, and he tried to kill me with a bayonet. And, and in fact, he killed him. He killed him instead. And he said, he didn't see it that way. I mean, we slaughtered them, but they didn't see it that way. And they, they are going to slaughter our economy. They are slaughtering our economy and our society and our civilization and our culture. They don't see it that way. Question for they you: They do not see it that way, and we, but we and we have to recognize that we are we are not dealing with people who are using our playbook. They are using their playbook, and in their playbook, we have to go. And it doesn't matter how we go; we have to go. Al, you, I have a question me, for you. Every one of us. Across the world right now, uh, on the other side of the world, the Saudis and Iranians were brokering a peace by China. China and Russia are standing up. Do you see any possibility on that side of the world can affect what's happening in the United States and in the West with the Jewish supremacy? Because the the Jewish supremacy is investing itself or um, 
infecting itself into the uh, Western system. Is there any possibility that China and Russia and some sort of Eastern block of, of countries will, will change the dynamic? Alan? Well, I think, I know, just, I, I am very conflicted on this. I think that BRICS is the, you know, that BRICS, Brazil, Russia, India, China, not South Africa. South Africa is collapsing, but I mean, anything on that side is a, is a useful counterweight to the American system. I personally, and I would, you know, I, I thought Russia was the, the great enemy for most of my adult life. Now I think that Russia alone and probably Russia in concert with China are going to be the, the great defenders and maybe the last readout of a Western civilization. I mean, Russia and maybe a few Eastern European countries with it, but certainly Russia and China have the power to stave off a Zionist-dominated America in Europe, particularly, particularly because this is something that we're forgetting. One of the effects of this unrestricted migration into Europe and the United States is not only going to be the destruction of the white majority societies, it's going to be destruction of those countries as world powers, as regional powers. It's going to break every single one of them. Not the United States, not Britain, not France, not Germany, not any one of them will survive as an effective political military state after this is done. They're going to, you know, you import the third world, you get the third world. You just get it in a different place. It's like if, when the barbarian invasions came into, into Western Europe with the collapse of the Roman Empire, except for a brief period of time in Italy, they didn't remake the Roman Empire. They destroyed it and Western civilization. And it took a thousand years roughly to recover it. Not quite a thousand, maybe seven, eight hundred years. Uh, it's going to take that long. And I think what's going to happen here is that when all of the effective Western states are destroyed by this migration, the Jews will rule over ruined countries. And then there's Russia and China. Kat, you're nodding your head. Um, I agree with most of it. I have a few nuances. Um, I am extremely excited about the multipolar alliances, and I see um, Putin as the bulwark, um, directly boots on the ground bulwark against Jewish supremacism. And I applaud uh, Putin enormously. And I'm very excited about the multipolar world coming together, although. Um, there are things that I don't like. I think it's going to be a kinder, gentler new world order. But the multipolar world order, I would rather be in than the unipolar world order, because basically that's a Jew world order. And what I think is going to happen is that the ultimate battle of civilization is going to be between the ancient dynasties of uh, China and um, the, um, the diasporan Jews. But the Jews have no standing army. So they're not really going to destroy these countries. They're just going to weaken them so that they can control. And what I'm hoping is that um, they've already hollowed us out and they're working their way to China. And China, I'm hoping, opens its eyes to the two main things. One is their own history of having interacted with um, Jewish people, Jewish um, power. And the other is looking into their inner Tao 
And, and I think that's what she is doing. It's like, this is just untenable. Just, it's not even um, civilized. And I, I think that the Jews are fine with that. As Alan has said, they're fine with ruling over um, uh, broken nations, but it's going to go head to head with uh, between China and the Jews. And um, I pity us because we're stuck in this unipolar world with them ruling us. And I don't see the wonderful gains of the multipolar world for the rest of the world that's going to be a part of that. Um, I don't think it's going to trickle over into us. We are going to be an oppressed people. And our greatest hope is going to be when um, China goes up against China et al. The rest of the world goes up against the unipolar world, which is basically the Jews and um, the multipolar world wins. And that's what is going to free us. And maybe from within we can. Um, the problem is that if Israel senses that it's going to lose, it's going to pull the Samson option and let off all its nukes. But um, I mean, <laughs> hopefully that'll at least destroy them as well. I mean, maybe the well, well, that, that 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 will that you know the great the great good thing about about this if you want if you want to talk in 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 terms of gallows humor the great good thing about it is that Israel is a relatively small country and the first time it kicks off a nuke uh that little part oh, yeah, of the world flat, that little part of the world is going to become the most arranged but it also it'll also kick humanity. off the united yeah. states it'll, it'll also kick off the united states nukes and all of nato's nukes that are stored in europe and because it's kind of but, 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 but just one one thing we haven't talked about and i'm i'm curious because i don't have i don't have a clear view of what's of this either okay. um what what role do you see japan in this i mean japan is not a trivial country it's not a military You know, Japan is is also extremely close to China, which surprised me. You know, given their history, I mean, <laughs> that's not one of those things. What do you mean? It's 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 arming up to to like it's 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 allowing itself to be served as a United States weapon platform against China. Exactly. What, what do you mean it's close to China? Uh, economically, all all of the major Japanese computer companies. I deal with computers very very extensively. Oh, okay. Every major Japanese computer company has all of its manufacturing plants in China. Because militarily, it's right now it's bristling with uh, weapons the United States is gleefully sending over and saying, oh, I, I know, I know, I understand they, that, but I mean economically in terms of, of industry. Okay. Uh, Toshiba, said that like, to, if Toshiba, among other things, Toshiba has all of its manufacturing plants in China, all of them. We have a Japanese. bunch of our manufacturing stuff in China too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, they do too. But I mean, but but that's that's what I'm curious about. What role? I mean, you know, Japan as a weapons platform, but they don't like the United States. There's massive protests. The in government Okinawa does. and some parts of Japan against the United States. I mean, I wouldn't like the United States if I were anyone else. Today. Everyone who can, I think, is going to go with the multipolar world. And those of us who can't are stuck here. And it's going to be a reverse of what used to be. The wall of uh, the, the wall of communism, that everything was dark behind that wall. And then that wall came down. The, the Soviet Union and the multipolar world is now more and more becoming what the U.S. was supposed to be, and we are becoming what the dark Soviet and communist China yeah. was in in days of yore. That's where I, we're I think that's stuck. True. I think that's true. I th you know, and, and I, I, I I hate this. You know, it's my um, I'm older than all of you, and a lot older than than you, Helen. But I mean, my entire life was spent, you know, believing in the United States, serving the United States, believing that the Soviet Union 
which we called Russia, we really did, uh, was the great enemy. And I find it so odd now to realize that the United States has become the enemy against which I fought. Wow. Yeah, it sucks for I mean, it sucks for anybody who's in your position or even in the position of like having grown up propagandized by this country. Like, I mean, I grew up reading about the Constitution and thinking, wow, this is really great that, that this country has all these freedoms that we can like, and no, no other country has this stuff. I mean, everybody's fed the same propaganda. But yeah, you fought for this. And this is it's got to be extremely painful to watch. I, I'd like yeah. to say what happened with um, Tara Reid. Tara Reid is the woman who Biden supposedly sexually yep. molested. I believe he did. And she um, spoke before um, Congress. Um, I, I think uh, Matt Getz had her come in. Um, actually, a month ago, I had dinner with her and she said she was going to Russia. And I said, well, if you're going to be speaking to Congress, and then how are you going to get back from Russia? And she just kind of looked at me with a Cheshire cat smile. Well, guess what? Today it came out that Tara yep. Reid has defected nice. to the Soviet, to, to, to Russia. <laughs> Can yeah. you imagine that? Her. People used to defect from there to here. Now people go from here. They're building a whole there. village. Like they're, they're building a whole village in Moscow. Like it could, they're calling it like a conservative village for like these hundred or 200 families that have like decided to immigrate from the United States. Well, you know, I, Russia, I, I, mean. I was talking, I was talking to a Russian, talked to a Russian friend. I, I think he's Russian. I'm not sure, you know, on VK, the Russian uh, social media site. And I said, you know, I said, you know, my family was from Kaliningrad. Well, what's now Kaliningrad? It used to be Konigsberg from East Prussia. And I said, you know, if I were younger, I would go to Russia. And he said, you don't have to be younger. He said, you could, he said, you could probably go there. The university would give you a teaching position in the second. They have a, a department of American studies there. You could do it. We've got, we've got the translation equipment. He said, come over. He lives in Kaliningrad, or says he does, and I can't know. How could I know? Uh, and I Things are that would be it. And I thought, well, that would be interesting. That would be before really let, interesting. Before I let you guys go today, do you think, uh, Helen, would you ever consider leaving the United States? Uh, of course. If it got to <laughs> worse, where would you go? I'm not going to say because I don't want to have them make trouble for me if I try to go to that place. <laughs> come, come with me to Paraguay. We can go in We can go to a German village down there. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can think of a lot of places I would like to go, in, and uh, I, I would go in a second. It would just be a question of uh, whether I could be sure that I would not be extradited back to the United States, and whether I could be assured that that government would not be be united with the United States in making trouble for me. Well, okay. in that case, in that case. We got two choices, really. I mean, really. I mean, realistically for us, linguistically and ethnically. One is Russia, because it's going to have enough power. Um, it's going to be hard for the United States and Europe to really transform it, even under Jewish control. It's going to be hard to do it, particularly if it's aligned with China. You know, if fighting Russia means fighting China. You know, Zionists are. are very aggressive, but they're not suicidal in that sense. Uh, if I wanted to go to a place that would be most comfortable, me, with my ancestry, I'd probably go to the Paraguay, Uruguay, Argentina, Chile line, where there's a lot of German communities, a lot of German speakers down there. Uh, I speak some Spanish, I speak German fairly well. I could go to those and be comfortable. I don't speak Russian, so it wouldn't be... That would yeah, be I'm not hard. suggesting that all of you leave. I'm just suggesting, you know, what about Americans across the yeah. board that are facing this? Are they going to be leaving an exodus, Kat? 
Well, um, in November, actually, I am going to be traveling for a month in Central America, and I'm very interested in checking out El Salvador. It's the first country to go 100% Bitcoin for their economy. Um, Bhutan just went CBDC. Bitcoin as well. Um, well, no, Helen, This another time for that discussion, I wouldn't necessarily just make it a black and white simple. But in any event, besides that, um, the civil liberties aside um, of um, thousands of young men being put in prison, the people feel extremely safe now. And I want to go down and see. And I also want to see how that's trickled over into Guatemala and what Costa Rica is uh I, that's always been the Switzerland of Central America. I don't know about that, but I'm going to Nicaragua, Costa Rica, El Salvador, and um, Guatemala for a month just to see what's going on there um, because uh, a lot of people are wanting to leave this country. And it seems like all of their migrants are coming here and a bunch of expats are going down there. Oh, so we'll just see great countries. What I think is really sad. Very good things about Costa Rica. What I think is really sad is that all four of us have given up in America. I think America gave up on us a long time ago. We don't think it can be saved, and we don't think it can be restored. America gave up on me a long time ago. I I wouldn't say necessarily. I'm going to check out um, um, Central America, but I haven't given up hope. I'm still an activist in the streets fighting and and trying to change um, people's minds. If we give up, then we just give a big fat gift to Jewish power in the Five Eyes countries in the West. That's right. also, that, also, it's possible. I, I, it's also it's it's possible yeah. to want an exit and not have given up completely on like fighting for your current situation. I mean, you can you can have two things going on at once. Okay. Yeah. Now, now the thing is, if you're serious about this, you have to understand that we are in an updated version of 1775. We are past the point where negotiation and protest and legislation matter. You have to be willing to pick up the weapons and go into the streets and stand up there and be willing to fight, kill, and die. And if you're not willing to do that, it's not going to matter. And I'm serious. And that's the what you think it is. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that. For effect, I'm not saying that of hyperbole. I mean, that is where we are. It's and different weapons. To, I don't it's, think it's we'll not, ever have as big as guns as they do. So it's not necessarily guns. Well, it's, but it's but it's it's. Listen, no one had the same guns as the British. They had the best army in the world in terms of quality. They had the biggest navy at that time. Uh, several others could come together, the French, the Dutch, the Spanish, and joined us, and they made the difference. I understand that. But the people who took a stand against them at Lexington Green and Concord Bridge knew they were facing a very well-disciplined army that was as effective against them as anything we're going to have to face today. Well, they were willing to do it. Took out a whole army of Persians. It's not necessarily the military um, 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 solutions that are going to do it. I, I, I think it's we're only in the military solutions. Well, it's, it's, it's a question of hitting at, the, at their weak spots, and that's very important right. to, to use use asymmetry against them, and also use well, their own tactics divide and conquer. It's a huge fork in the road right now, and I don't think military solutions are necessarily going to be the answer or the the result from their end. I, I think we have to think more out of the box of ways. More that of we a twenty first century solution, is that right, Kat? 
Yeah, we're we're facing fifth gen warfare now with an entirely different. I, I mean, AI. How could we as, as as citizens possibly go up against that? We have to um, unleash different tools that we collectively have as citizens, and um, I, I call it right brain activism. Um, different ways of approaching the um, hegemony that they're trying to um, um, control us with. And yes, they have the weaponry, but I I think there's other solutions that um, is for another program. Yeah. We have the weaponry too. Go ahead and take the last word. Okay. We have the weaponry too. Um, The Mississippi Air National Guard is getting (laughs) F-35s. Seriously. The national. No, I'm the saying nas- F-35s. It's a flying potato. The national. No, but no, but they're getting F-35s and the F-16s. They can't fly in the rain. Those. All of these. All of but all of these. All of the national guards are getting the same equipment as the regular armed forces. And do you know why they're getting it? Because they're the ones who are now being deployed in addition to the regular forces for the foreign wars. So Biden might Biden bioweapons. I mean, they've got the, the, the Biden, stuff they have but, is above and beyond a gun. Biden, and, and, no, and there, there isn't. There isn't. I'm, I'm sorry. There's Just a wait point. till it's a thunderstorm, and then we can go up against the there, 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 is, there is a, there is a point. There is a point where it all comes down to blood and death, and no one wants well, to I, think about that. But that's it. I think we're going to have another discussion about this one for sure coming up. And how are we going to counter this? I think that's another whole hour uh, podcast. But uh, on that note, we've had enough for today. Uh, it's already been uh, right at the hour mark. Uh, Helen of Destroy, tell us uh, what you're doing <laughs> this week. Uh, what's what's happening with you? How can fans reach you? Uh, how can they communicate with you? And how can they support what you're doing? Okay. Uh, I have a substack. It's helenofdestroy.substack.com. That's where my articles go up. I'll, I mean, uh, you can follow me on Twitter, Velociraptor23, V-E-L-O-C-I-R-A-P-T-U-R-E 23. And on Telegram, same uh, user account. Awesome. And Kat, same thing with you. What's happening this week with you? What, what, what are you doing this week and how do we find you? Um, well, this Saturday, the first Saturday of every month, I'm a guest host with Kevin Barrett on False Flag Weekly News. And um, so you can find me there, uh, and um, I'm kind of under the radar. I don't have a website. Um, I don't have a Substack. Gotcha, gotcha. But I'm out Alan, there. And <laughs> <laughs> Alan, you got the last word before we go. Alan, go for it, man. Tell us all well, about yourself. I'm, uh, I, I, where Helen of Destroy is going to be horsing around, <laughs> and Kat is going to be making some catty comments here and there. I am going to be writing the second article, which is called The Crime of Punishment, which is basically looking at the extent to which the left has been using the judicial process both to penalize and to effectively emasculate political opponents. And I'm going to take two weeks doing that so that my friends can have enough time to look at it and stop me from making stupid mistakes again. Lawfare. Love it. <laughs> on that note, I want to say thank you for appearing on VT Radio. Before I let you all go, I do want to say thank you to Debanda, Debanda, who bought three coffees for VT Radio. We were on uh, buymeacoffee.com. Also, Linda Ann, Stefan Donner, Sarah Ross, Julian Showman, David Ba, who always looks forward to receiving his daily truthful information on our email, and the great Rebecca V, who says, Wow, great Dr. Sabrowski interview. So there you go. Uh, <laughs> 
So I want to say thank you for all can of I, you guys. Can, I, can, can I have an address, please? Absolutely. Thank you, folks, for being on and, and sharing your thoughts. I, I know this is tough subjects for everybody to hear, especially those of you hearing it out there. It might be a little hard, but uh, take what these folks say and, and, and then do the best you can with it. On that note, have a terrific evening, everybody. Take care. If you enjoyed this presentation, hit the like button now. Also, share it with your friends. And don't forget to subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. VT approves this message.